A very good morning to you. It is Saturday morning. This is your weekend early. Not uh, the show that I do normally, but it is Jean-Michel standing in. You normally hear me on a Sunday morning. But when I do stand in on a Saturday, I do like to talk about psychology and psychiatry and the brain and emotions and and just mental health in general. And the person I like to go to to have those conversations is psychiatrist Kim Laxton, who joins us on the line. Good morning, Kim. Thanks very much. Good morning, John, and thank you so much for having me on your show this morning. It's an absolute pleasure. Now, June is a month where we do a lot of focus on the youth. It's Youth Month. 16th of June is Youth Day. And I wanted to talk about the the mental health of our teenagers and children and and how maybe we go about helping them find the right care and when we need to intervene and when it's appropriate for a psychologist or psychiatrist to step in when your child is showing some kind of uh, warning signs maybe. John, it's such an important topic. Um, I actually recently did a talk on uh, depression, anxiety, and I focused quite a lot on children and adolescents because they certainly present Similarly, but also quite different to adults, and they don't present with the, the same, I'm feeling sad, they would rather say, for example, refuse school. And one thing that is incredibly important to recognize is the danger signs leading or potentially leading up into a suicide attempt, because obviously we're seeing, um, people might be aware that we're seeing a rise in uh, teenage suicide, which is incredibly concerning. And the big thing around that, or the big talking point around that, is that we're not targeting depression um, as effectively as we should. So I think all of these topics and all of these discussions are incredibly important to have. So one of the things that that I find so fascinating is that when we talk about um, psychology and we talk about mental health and we talk about uh, psychiatry, oftentimes when we talk about children, we're, we're thinking that they are these little adults, but they're not little adults and they're not fully developed, in, even in terms of their physicality of the brain. That frontal cortex is only fully developed at 21. So when I experience depression, it is a chemical imbalance. It's very different to a young physical brain. John, that is completely correct. And to put it into a little bit more context, the frontal lobe that you've mentioned is the epicenter of human personality. It controls uh, certain actions, for example, impulsivity, mm. which can both be physical and emotional impulsivity, decision-making. It is a center for the expression of emotions such as depression. It's linked to various other regions of the brain, which uh, when, when together they are, say, not working as effectively as they should, we can have symptoms of things like obsessive-compulsive disorder, ADHD and anxiety. So with that frontal lobe not having been developed to the extent that it should be as an adult, often what we see are symptoms such as the impulsivity that are the most pronounced. And these these symptoms actually lead into quite diagnostic and functional outcomes, which actually pose teenagers and children at higher risk of attempting suicide if you look at it from from an anatomical perspective. Mm. And I guess that there isn't like a blanket statement. Here is a checklist. If your child doesn't have these, then you're fine. Or if they do have it, you need to seek help. But I, I guess if your child is changing in a way that seems unnatural, so if they were loud, 
before and busy and now they're not all of a sudden they're introverted and quiet and spend a lot more time inside is it maybe the change in in like extremes that one has to look out for not necessarily a one two three four five six seven eight checklist correct clearly there are symptoms that we look for uh, the obvious symptoms are things like a child that is not sleeping, mm. a child that is not eating as much, a child that doesn't necessarily want to do the things that they used to enjoy. Other telltale signs which are a little bit more objective are things like, for example, the marks at school start to deteriorate and there's no obvious reason why the marks should go down. So, yes, those are kind of like a bit of a checklist. But some of the more subtle symptoms, which I think you are definitely alluding to, which are often not seen in adults, or at least not expressed as being symptoms of a depressive or anxiety disorder, are things like school refusal. Uh, adults obviously aren't going to school, so there might be a bit more of work refusal. But in children, one of the things that they do is they avoid. So they tend to avoid friends, they tend to avoid class, they tend to avoid homework, and the big big symptom which people should be looking for is when their child stops wanting to go to school. Mm. And that for us is an incredibly important symptom because you actually have to look for perhaps why there's a reason at the school. So, for example, something Mm. like bullying. Is there something that's keeping them at home? Or are they depressed and anxious to the point that they just can't interact? So Mm. those are symptoms that need more investigation. But they can be the first symptom of something of an emerging depressive anxiety episode in a child and adolescence. Other symptoms which are also quite seemingly quite subtle, cause a huge amount of distress for parents, are kids that complain of physical symptoms. So they will say, I've got a headache or they've got tummy pain. I've got a patient who, um, a numb who said that her child can actually induce vomiting. I saw that recently. I've seen that in a very young child. He was four or five. And, and he didn't yeah. want to eat food and, and I was away with friends and, and this kid, the grandparent of a friend of a friend of a friend or something, a grandchild, and he didn't want to eat and his parents were like, you've been eating junk the whole day and sort of were not force feeding him, but making yes. him eat and he just forced himself to vomit. I was, I'd never yes. seen it before. It's children express those, it's children lack, and I'm talking not really about teenagers here, I'm talking Children about 10 or 11 yeah. and under, um, but after the age of, say, say four or five, mm. when they're starting to really be fluent in language and can communicate, children struggle to identify emotions. So an adult and a teenager will be able to kind of say, you know what, I'm feeling sad mm. or I'm feeling angry because they can recognize and vocalize the feeling that they're having and be quite good at differentiating those emotions and saying, I'm irritable versus I'm anxious, or I'm sad versus I'm lonely. We can identify them. Children can't do that. They're either feeling happy or they've got a yuck feeling inside. Mm. And that yuck feeling can be, and we call it yuck feeling, because that's what children Mm. understand. Things like being scared, for example. You know, um, things like being angry. It's not a nice feeling, but they don't know how to say it. So they tend to express it. So an angry child or a frustrated child might hit their sibling Mm. or they might refuse to do their homework and throw their book against the wall or, 
you know, they might throw the food around at the table. Children that are sad and depressed and have those feelings tend to withdraw and they tend to go into their shell. We call that an internalizing illness. So they take everything inside. They don't know how to express it and they try and escape from the feeling. But of course, they can't because Mm. it's inside. But they identify the world as being dangerous. Hence, they stop going to school. Hence, they stop seeing their friends. So that's that type of internalizing expression of, of, of certain emotions. And often for parents that are perhaps listening to this, it can be quite subtle. The children that externalize symptoms, so the anger, the frustration, the throwing things around, the hitting of the sibling, the kicking of the dog, the, mm. you know, those kids tend to be identified quite quickly and they get assistance quite quickly and we'll talk about where we need to go with that and who we should ask in a bit but those children tend to get picked up it's the same as the ADHD children Mm. the ones that are disruptive running around the class and always getting into trouble the hyperactive ADHD kids but the children that are depressed and withdrawn and refusing to engage the children that are anxious and crying in their bed at night and not sleeping, not telling their parents, mm. and the inattentive ADHD children generally aren't picked up. Because so, it's loud versus quiet. It's, yes. it's, it's in your face Silent. versus withdrawn. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And children are different to adolescents in that adolescents tend to express that unpleasantness that they're having by causing their own deliberate self-harm. So that's where we see in the 15, 16, 17-year-olds, even younger, 13, 12-year-olds can even do it, where they start cutting. Mm. And they often hide it because if you speak to a person who has experienced the need to deliberately self-harm, they describe this internal feeling of pain which is not physical, but emotional, and they need to express it and let it out and release it by cutting themselves. So that is a symptom. But children generally don't express that. They literally become quiet. Mm. And it's very difficult to pick up. So you you touched on a little bit uh, before where you're talking about what kind of help and when to seek help. As a parent, if you have a, a child who's six or seven and is showing signs that are just very different to what you're used to and, and as you say, withdrawn and it's very different to the personality that they were showing before and, and you feel that there's something wrong, where do you go to first? Is it a counselor, psychologist, psychiatrist? Is it the school guidance? Where do you go to for help first? What's your first port of call? So my first port of call that I tell my parents, go to your child. Mm. Number one, the most important, the most important um, support that a parent can give a child who's experiencing these really difficult feelings is to make them feel safe. Mm. Go to the child initially because Ultimately, anybody that you go to for external support is ultimately going to be a stranger to this child. So you want to make the, feel, the child feel safe from the beginning. So what I would suggest is, and do it if you're a mom and a dad, do it together. Yeah. Go to the child. Put them in a safe place. Go to their bedroom, sit them down with their toy or whatever they use as a comfort. Sit with them and say, we just noticed that you 
you seem to be quite sad and use simple words. Use words that the child can understand. We notice that you really are struggling with your head being full. Can you please, you know, perhaps why? So go to the child first, make them feel safe and give them words, what we call words of validation. So mm. validate those feelings. Say, you know what, Johnny or Sally or, you know, I'm, I'm seeing that you are struggling. I really want you to know that mommy or daddy, we're here for you. We want to make you feel safe. Because it can be quite scary to have. And I mean, this is exactly how I talk to children and parents. We want to make sure that they understand that the feelings that they're having, that someone else understands it and someone else is there for them. So, child number one. The second, and, and these are generally school-going children. So, your biggest ally as a parent is a teacher. Number one, mm. go to the teacher. Make a plan to see the teacher without the child present and say, please, I've noticed this in my child. What are you seeing in the classroom? Because remember, the children and adolescents are spending the majority of the time with somebody else. So you're seeing the kids for a specific period of time and often it's either homework or mm. play. Mm. You're not seeing them in the classroom setting where you've got other dynamics. And the other thing that a teacher can go to is a scorecard, which is essentially their report. Mm. So they can go and they can say, well, we noticed in the first term that they were getting fours and fives or A's and B's. Now they're getting, you know, ones and twos or whatever yeah. and, you know, 50s and 60s. Yes, we've noticed the decline. And then the teacher is aware. So that is the second person that you need to go to. Depending on the school, now I know a lot of the sort of very into private school, certainly in Johannesburg, mm. they've got it's educational psychologists. Yeah. Now, educational psychologists ultimately are about finding the child their best way of dealing with academics, but they're also psychologically trained, which basically means that they are taught how to deal with emotions and how to interact with children, which again mm. is very important. So, And it's also someone that the child will most probably know. The other thing for a parent, if you're putting your child in a school, find out about what psychology and guidance is already available. Because I already know that in some schools in Johannesburg, in the high schools, they've got suicide contracts. Wow. So parents actually find that if their child at the school expresses suicidal thoughts, this is what the school's going to do. Gotcha. So you almost have to sign consent that this wow. is the school's going to intervene in such a way. So know what available resources there are within the school. Then, so this is a long-winded thing. No, no, no. It's very thing. interesting. And it's, it's, uh, I think it's a very helpful um, sort of progression as to when it is a point at which you need to seek help. Let me just let people know, if you've just tuned in, we're speaking to psychiatrist Dr. Kim Laxton, and we're talking about the mental health of your child, your children, whether it's a young child or an adolescent or a teenager, in those in those years where they're not fully fully formed in the brain and they might be struggling with mental health issues and when to seek help and how to seek help. Uh, please continue. Let us know what the next step is, Kim. So that obviously is your foundation. And the next group of people, I mean, I'm, I'm almost avoiding clinical psychologists, yeah. psychiatrists, and GPs at this point because that actually you would have gone through these stages before. Mm. The next thing, especially if the school marks have gone down, it is really important to test the child to 
obviously eyesight and hearing is okay. Wow. Because by simply intervening at that level, yeah. or putting the child in a different position in the class can make a fundamental difference to their mental health mm. because children who see themselves struggling and compare, in, in compared to their peers will feel, especially those that are um, quite sort of, you know, they, they run the risk of being depressed or anxious, um, will withdraw and do work in class when they can't hear or they can't see or they're at the back of the classroom. So they'll then show symptoms of depression. But if you treat them and you give them that self-confidence back mm. and they can read and they can see and they can hear, you've actually solved a big concern. Yeah. So parents mustn't forget that. And those are actually often very easy things to do. Other people that are very, very important that work alongside the psych- psychologist at the school is occupational therapist. Mm. And occupational therapists, specifically with children, working with what we call the neurodevelopmental occupational therapy, is they deal with functioning. So, for example, children that are depressed because they're struggling to read, mm. often go to OT for a couple of sessions, and the OT can help them simply by assisting them with reading and assisting them with handwriting mm. and the functional aspects of staying at school and maintaining their function. And finally, if the teacher, the psychologist at the school, the OT, and the grant the other roots feel that this child definitely exhibits signs of anxiety, I always say, Last with your general practitioner. Mm. They might not be the person that ultimately gives the medication. Mm. Maybe that's what the child needs. But it is a starting point. It's a foot in the door into the medical field, and that's where the general practitioner can then say, listen, I work really well with this clinical psychologist mm. and this psychiatrist. But I would like to for the child to get an opinion from this person. And because the other concern with psychiatry is that there's often a long waiting list. Yeah. Mm. And it's no use waiting three months where you can just start a little bit anti depressant, use it to helping, and use this one onto something. Yeah. If they need it. Because waiting six months for a child and adolescent psychiatrist, which is ultimately kind of the pinnacle of an assessment, can take a long time. And you don't want to allow for the child to fall back in school and, you know, fail a grade and then their self-esteem goes down. You know, it's just really important to intervene early. But those simple strategies and those um, allied or additional resources can go to great lengths in just initiating the process of helping the child and the family Mm. holistically and then starting the process of getting the more psychotherapeutic pharmacological intervention that might happen down the line. It's so important. And, you know, my parents or, you know, parents who are a bit older might be of the school of thought. It's, you know, I didn't have therapy when I was a child and why would my child need it? But actually the pressure that children are under these days, uh, they starting school at what? Grade zero, zero, then grade zero, then grade R. They are being exposed to a lot very early on this social media. There's now videos and YouTube and they're consuming a lot of information and those anxieties are completely real. So we need to pay attention to your child if they are showing signs of, of changing and you can't put your finger on what it is. Rather seek help. Try and change the diet. Try and change their, um, exercise routine. Get them outside. 
let them play a bit. And if there's still no change, then go through those processes of trying to get some answers, but don't leave it. The, the, the ramifications of leaving a child who is in a depression. Kim was saying that, that, um, the frontal cortex of the brain isn't developed until 21. That means that your child is, is, is exposed to acting out on bad decisions. And suicide could be one of them. So rather seek help, seek the answers and, and get help for your child if they are showing signs of changing. And John, just to add on just very briefly, what I've noticed when I've worked, and I don't really work that much with children, but I have had the odd child that's come into my room. What I find is those parents that start out by saying, I didn't need the help, why should my child? Mm. What I find is when I take a history from the child in front of the parent, the parents often say, sure, I wish I had this when I was a child. Yeah. They suddenly swing, and the insight and the struggles of their own, they suddenly recognize. Mm. And what happens is we actually end up treating the parent. So the parent suddenly gets the intervention that they need, which ultimately and indirectly affects the child. So the whole environment is affected. We get them Mm. into family therapy. We start working with parents that are struggling with uh, marital issues. And we get the siblings siblings in because, of course, we're treating the environment as well. Yeah, very important. how many parents the life kind of goes on and they go yeah i should have got help 25 years ago that is so powerful kim that is absolutely so powerful yeah look at if your if your life has changed and suddenly your child's life you know is changing your personality is changing you have to look at the holistic approach the whole home the whole environment so important thank you kim for your time we have to leave it there we could go on for days just chatting about psychology psychiatry but thank you so much for your time i know you've got to get on i've got to move on um so thank you very much for joining me this morning john it's always a pleasure thank you so much for having me on your show it's an absolute pleasure